0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. I want to welcome you once again to Calvary. I'm glad that you've joined with us today. Next Sunday here at Calvary, we're going to begin as we go through the month of December talking about the journey to Christmas And this journey includes a journey of hope. It includes... Joy and peace. It includes worship. Some great things as we, we look at how uh, the, the impact that Jesus' birth had on our lives. And so invite somebody to come with you. It's going to lead up to some special days here, including Christmas Eve. And uh, just as we, we talk about what, what Christmas really means to us. But today, we're going to wrap up a series. And we, we have something special at the end that we want to uh, have a part of this special day. And I, I, I hope it will really be something meaningful and helpful to those of you who are married. But to do before we get there, we want to talk about this Last, uh, this last, sec- last section excuse me, of our sermon series, the last vow, we've talked about four different vows and all of these that we've been talking about, I, I hope have been helping wh- whatever uh, side of the marriage fence you're on. If you are uh, not yet married, hope to get married someday. I hope you're listening because you've been getting some free marriage counseling. Can I tell you that? What you've been hearing today, I actually want to, uh, uh, a guy who'd been married several years said to me this morning, he said, man, I wish I would have heard that years ago. But we both kind of laughed. The problem is we probably did hear it years ago. We just weren't listening quite as hard then. Married couples, you understand what I'm saying? So I hope you're listening, guys. That this is some prep work. This is some really important things to keep in mind of things to look for and things to be putting into your marriage when you get to that stage. But for those of you that are married, I hope there's been some hope, and I, I really believe that we can learn some things that can actually improve this, this wonderful experience that God has given us in this gift of marriage. So we're going to continue with that, that thought, and our vow for today we talk talked about four different ones. The vow today is the vow of purity. We're going to go back to the verse that we've looked at for, the last, uh, for, for this month. We're back in the book of Genesis. We're going back to the beginning to see God's original design for marriage. And in this original design, the verse that we have that begins the marriage, um, the marriage relationship starts here. Genesis 2 and verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And up to this point, we've, we've gathered uh, three different vows from that. We talk about this verse, I, I really believe, contains the DNA of the marriage design that God has for us. So in that, we find what God wants for marriage, and if we will learn how to apply this, we can get back to, to, closer to God's original design. But God's creation story is not yet complete. Chapter 1, big part of creation. Chapter 2, bo- uh, bird's eye view, or the close-up view of, of man, and it's not quite done. There's one verse left. This verse continues, verse number 25, in the last verse of this chapter Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's something very important about marriage in that verse God created them with nothing, literally, he, they, they were covered by nothing. In fact, later we'll hear, actually Job said that when he, when he was going through his, you remember what Job said, naked I came into the world and naked I'm going to leave? It's that same picture. It's the idea that when, the, the idea of naked, they came in with absolutely nothing. And God intended them to stay that way. Okay, I'm, I'm not a nudist, okay, so let's just take that off the thing, all right? I'm not endorsing that. I'm not endorsing public displays of nudity. That's not the point. But there is something that we can learn strategically and very powerfully important about as God uh, finishes out this, this teaching, if you would, on marriage. He, he cunges to that verse that they were not only naked, but what's the last part? And they felt no shame. That's critical. naked. With no shame. Now, there are several conclusions we can draw from that, and probably more than I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a few. One is there was just absolute innocence, there was just no shame. There was just, as it is said, there was just nothing that brought any guilt. You guys recognize this. If you have kids, there's a point in oh, probably every one of your kids' life at some point about the age one, two, somewhere in there, where they run in the room with nothing but their birthday suit on, and many of them will proclaim, I'm naked, and they just run through, and everybody laughs because it's innocent. They don't mean anything by that. There's nothing, and, every, and all the moms are grabbing for blankets, and the kids are running through the house, and little butts shining. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's innocence. There is literally no shame there. That's part of what this means. It also tells us, as you, keep, as you think, going through the Scriptures, there's no self-conscious awkwardness here. Every one of us in this room, at some point, when you see somebody staring at you, that bothers you. When you can feel that, that eye, und- and there's someone staring, maybe they recognize you and they're trying to figure it out, or maybe they like what you're wearing, or I, I don't know, but they're staring at you. And some of you have actually said, what are you looking at, dude? Right? You've done that. Because you so, you're self-conscious. You don't like people. Still. There was no self-conscious awkwardness. They're naked without any shame. There was just that complete innocence. And, and there's also no thoughts of, uh, do I look okay? I wonder if Adam's going to accept me like this. I wonder if Eve likes that. There was none of that. Naked, completely, completely bare, and, and nothing to be ashamed. I, I also want to make sure you understand what God is saying, because we just come out of verse number 24, and he says that the, the two become one. Now he says in this verse that the man and wife were both naked and felt no shame. There's also something in this verse that teaches that the, the, the act, the gift of sexual intimacy is just that. It is a gift from God. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It is beautiful, but there's an order in it as well. There was a covenant made between a couple before they experienced the, the oneness of marriage. And before and, and our culture has that so messed up that it's hard for us to even fathom that, that God expected it to go through that order, that you commit yourself in marriage in a covenant relationship, then you enjoy the gift of God because there's more to it than the sexual intimacy. There's, there's all that, that is combined. And, and so today in most of our culture, they speak of sex as just something you do on a date. I mean, in fact, there's some people say, that's what a date is. And they've missed the whole point that that was meant as a beautiful gift, but it was was an order here. There was naked and no shame because God had made them, and now they're man and wife, and God is, do you see that order? But there's one other thing, and this is what we're going to focus on specifically today, something we cannot overlook. Let, Let me give you a quote. Author Jimmy Evans said it this way, and you'll see the quote on the board. In the beginning of time, God intended marriage to be a place of total nakedness, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. They were completely exposed before God and before one another. In that condition, they shared themselves totally in an atmosphere of intimacy and openness. That is God's picture of a perfect marriage relationship. You could say it this way. This is, this is how we could summarize this last thought. God created us with the need for nakedness, with the need for openness. God created us as human beings. That was a, that's a part of what we need. Let me just throw out a thought here. Sometimes when I hear people say that they just fall out of love, they're not in love any longer, I really, I honestly believe, and I could probably say in most cases that it's simply code for where no longer feel that openness and intimacy. This is where marriage is supposed to be going. And when you lose that or you don't have that or you're missing that, suddenly you you begin to lose the feelings of love as well. There's something very critical about this this openness. And that's what makes the results of sin in chapter 3 even more bizarrely huge. If we go to chapter 3, the the couple disobey God. They're not supposed to eat of the tree, and they do. And you go to verse number 7 of chapter 3, and here's what it says. Then the eyes of them both were opened... And they realized they were what? Naked. Now, they were already naked. It wasn't like this the cloud. It's just suddenly now the nakedness comes differently. It looks differently. Now the nakedness carries with it all that we talk about nakedness. It carries with it the shame and the guilt and the lack of innocence. Something is different now. They're, they're self-conscious. They're awkward. In fact, here's how it continues. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And that's when Adam said, Well, somebody's got to wear the plants in this family. Okay, I just had to throw that out. I heard that this week. I just had to throw that out. Okay, sorry. You can groan, get me later. But anyway, I had to throw that in. Okay, so they sewed fig leaves together, and it continues on. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And notice what happens. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid, that's something new, never known fear before, because I was naked. Naked now is uncomfortable, naked is awkward, naked is not innocent. And so I hid. Shame, hiding, guilt, it all started right there. But that's not how it was intended to be. God had made something different There's a couple of big things we can learn from this that I hope that you'll listen and, and apply to your life as well as your marriage, but here's something huge. Sin is always the greatest obstacle of openness. Sin is what took the innocence away. Sin is what made the hiding become something. In regards to this openness and transparency in marriage, whenever we begin to lose that, that, ultimately, behind it all, sin is the root cause. Sin has always been the cause of why shame enters. Because whatever way you look at it, Satan, the enemy, is going to do everything he can to, to destroy what God has set up. And he knows that God set this up so that we could have an open relationship, this, this openness, this, this, this intimacy, and he knows that's what marriage is for. And so he's going to do everything he can to destroy that. So when he brings sin into, that, into the picture, old openness takes a huge hit. But here's some things we know about sin. We learn it right from the garden. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? Sin may have different looking consequences, but they're ultimately all the same. And that is they just it destroys. It 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 takes away. Ultimately it kills. Sin always has that. Here's something else, couples, you gotta understand about sin and people in general. That your actions and what you do, the choices you make are going to affect your 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 spouse. you are going to affect others, but specifically your spouse, even if they don't know about it right at the time. If I can picture it this way, uh, sometimes when I go to the gym, I come home and I am a sweaty, nasty, smelly mess, right? And so I love to just come up to my wife and go, hey, you want a big hug, loved one, you know? And she's like, get away from me, you stink, right? Okay, but here's the point. I can't expect to give her a hug without some of that nastiness coming off on her. Do you realize you can say, I sinned, it doesn't bother anybody? That's just not true. Now you're carrying with you the stink and the smell of sin, and you're going to affect those you're closest to, whether at that time they know it or not. That's the sin. That's what sin does. Here's what we also know about sin. Sin is going to be in within the marriage, it's every part of your life. It, it might be the, the sexual part of your life. It could be your finances. It could be the words that you use. It was sin in any part of your life. Here's what the devil does. If First uh, 1 Peter 5 8 says the devil's a roaring lion, he just seeks who he can destroy. That's his now the devil is not all powerful. God is bigger than the, the than Satan. I get that. And and God, but but the devil wants to just stick his foot in the door. And he's going to use whatever he can. If it's just a little bit of dishonesty here or just a little bit of, of you know, just a one look here and this kind of, and just stick his, he can get his foot in and begin to make inroads. That's when he begins to take away the openness because sin comes in and with sin becomes this, this idea of, you know, now I've got, I can't talk about it. I've got to, I've got to keep it hidden. I've, I've got to keep it away. And, that's, and now the secrets begin to take away that ultimate design that God has of this intimacy. Here's what we know. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was a perfect relationship. Two people completely open, transparent, completely vulnerable to one another, completely true, unashamed intimacy. Chapter 3, after sin, we have two lonely people hiding from God, hiding from one another, blaming others, ultimately even blaming God. Well, that sounds really familiar to a lot of marriages. There's so a lot of hiding going on. There's a lot of anger going on, a lot of blame-throwing going on, and it, it all come right back to this particular statement. Back to Genesis 3. The man and his wife, they hid from the Lord. I was afraid, so I hid. That, we, we get that. Not only those same kids that we talked about that run through and cling naked. How many times have you talked to your kids, and they come out, and they got chocolate dripping off their face, and you say, Did you eat that cookie? No. I'm going oh, and their mouth's full of cookie and it's dripping out of their side. Or, okay, some of you may relate to this. We had one of our children that that didn't like to um, bodily function where everyone could see them. I, I won't say gender on this one, okay? But they, so we would we would look and we would start to smell something. We'd look and often it was either behind the couch or you'd look behind the curtain and you could see feet. Right? Couldn't see a person. And you go, hey, are you pooping? No, <laughs> I honest to goodness, no, right? So we, we see that with kids. We know what it is to hide. That's what we do naturally. But as adults, we do the same thing. Hey, do you need some help? No. <laughs> hey, can, can I? You, you, need to, you need some accountability? No. Is there any way I can, I can give you some? No. We're pride, we're egotistical. We're hiding because we don't want somebody, and we, especially our spouse. If I tell them, then they're not going to love me anymore. They're not going to care. And shame, and the nakedness is gone, and now we're trying to hide because we're trying to make everyone think we're something that we're not, and we're perfect, and we don't have problems anymore. All started right here. God created them naked and unashamed. Sin has destroyed that. How do we begin to reclaim what God has done for us? In marriage, we, we, we find ourselves the same way. I can't let them know I'm struggling. I can't let... And here's what we know. Second big thought I want you to grab is this. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Sin will always bring an obstacle to your openness, and when that happens, then secrecy becomes a part, and then your intimacy, that, that thing that God created, that openness, it begins step by step to go, to go away. We hide from God, then we hide from, from our spouse, we hide from others. We're, we're trying to just, and, and, and the nakedness is gone. We can't let someone know who we really are. I, I heard this definition, I think it's an, an amazing thing. The definition of intimacy is simply, you could put it this way, into me see. Intimacy is letting someone see who you really are and stop the mask, stop the hiding, into me see. That's what, that's, and that's what God wanted is this nakedness, this openness, this complete intimacy is be able to, to see who each other are and be able to appreciate that about one another. As I said this, I, I had to stop and I really said, God, my poor wife. Okay, I'll I just, just be honest here a little bit. I grew up, and some of you are going to understand this, I grew up in a culture where you didn't talk about things. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't like we had all these deep, hidden, dark, you know, Jerry Springer moment secrets in our life. It's just you didn't talk about it. When things hurt, you didn't, t- you didn't talk about it. When you did something wrong, you especially didn't talk about it. And if you did, then, then you did it and then didn't talk about it to anybody else because it's kind of like if you ignore it, then maybe it really didn't happen. And I kind of grew up in that atmosphere, so secrets were a part of, you just, you just don't talk about certain things. Then you add on top of that that I'm kind of, believe it or not, an introverted type of person. I'm kind of a private person. So not only did I learn that you don't talk about it, I'm also by nature kind of private about things, right? And, I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I'm a processor, so I tend to stuff a lot before I spread. My poor wife had to deal with this for a long time, right? You understand what I'm saying? And then, if any of you have been through the book by Egerich about, uh, about marriage, love and respect, he uses an image in there that we laugh about now. But he uses an image of a wife that wants to have intimacy, wants to be open with her husband, and he's just not allowing it to happen. And he gives a picture of her going, like he's an island, and she's going around in a canoe around that island, wanting to get on the island. And at some point, if you don't let her on, she's going to jam that canoe up on your island. And she's gonna do things like, "Hey, why aren't you talking to me? Hey, did I do something wrong? Hey, did what? Why? What, what is it going on?" And she just and she's jamming that canoe, trying to get open again. Here, trust me. In 32 years, I got some canoe scars. I'd love to show you. You understand what I'm saying? Because in my life, that's how that's how things it was. But here's something, just personally that God's shown me and do this series. You guys think I'm preaching this to you? I had to preach this to me first, and it's not been a lot of fun the last couple of weeks. And this one, especially this week, is God said, dude, you got to stop making excuses. I can't use my past experiences and my introverted personality as an excuse for not doing what my wife needs. She needs someone that's open. And I told her that this week, and she was like, whoa, I mean, the angels sang... <laughs> We sang the hallelujah chorus all the way to Thanksgiving. It was a, because, and now she's waiting to see if it's going to happen because, folks, that's not an excuse. I'm not trying to do this to lay guilt on you because some of you are just like me, men and women. It could be either side. You have some of the same past. You have some of the same tendencies. But can I tell you, God can change you. He can improve us. He can make a difference, and that's what he wants to do in our lives. So let's go back and review the, the vows as we get to this last one. Here's what we've learned so far. The vows, number one is, I promise God will be my first priority. My spouse will be my second. God, number one, my spouse be that number two, which leads us to the second promise. Second promise is, I promise to always pursue my two. I'm going to go after. I'm not just going to take them for granted. Last week, we talked about vow number three. I promise our marriage will be about we, not about me. Which leads us to our final vow that we're going to look at today. By God's original marriage design, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to be open and not hide from you. So the the obvious take-home principle, I want you to hear this. This is what God's saying to all the married couples. Two words, get naked. That's what he's saying. I see some men listening to me that haven't listened to me since I've been here in seven years. (laughs) You snapped your neck. You're on you're on board right here. You're always gonna remember this sermon because God told us to get naked. That's exactly what he said. He wants us to be open. Shelley, look out. I'm getting naked. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. I'm sorry, the middle pictures, it's all getting bad. But here's what we got to get to. As we talk about these secrets, I want to take it, I want to take it another way and look at it because what and and the song choices could not have been more appropriate this morning as we we talk about the fact of God bringing us from darkness into light, to taking away the shame. And that's the way I want to do it. And all married couples, and some of you I know as we talk, some of you are, as we've said, some of you are having a really good season of marriage. Some of you, it's a medium season. Some of you, it's a hurtful time of marriage, and all the way across. Can I just hope that we, we do something today? And actually, God said this, and I want to take God's quote, it's from the very uh, third verse of the Bible, where, G, where God said, as He created the world, He said, Let there be light. That's what this whole nakedness thing is all about, is let God's light shine into some dark places, bring them out of the hole of secrecy, bring them in, and and let us see healing begin. Let us see some things begin to change. Let there be light. And with that, we establish this this vow of purity. So to do so, I want to take us to an old uh, New Testament passage. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and, and this, this chapter, as, as we read it last week, actually, eventually he gets to marriage. He talks about the husband and wife and how they're supposed to, to react to one another. But before he ever gets there, he's giving some just general observations of what it is to live as a Christian, to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And in that, he talks about this very familiar picture of darkness versus light and what that should do in a Christian's light. And, and I want us to take it and, yes, apply it for all of our lives. Wherever we are, single, not uh, married, wherever you are as a follower of Christ, these are important for us. But also married couples, let's take and let's make this analogy to what we are right now is, and let God bring some light. Let's start here, Ephesians 5.8. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Let's just stop right there. Here's what he's saying to those of you who are Christ followers. You are, you are literally, there's a difference in you now. You once were light. There was a point, that, and here's what you gotta understand. This verse, it speaks, to, it says you were once darkness. Every one of us in this room, every one of us at some point, that has been our testimony. It might be your testimony right now that you are darkness. You are, and, and I think it's very interesting. He doesn't say you're in darkness. The language is pretty clear. He says you are darkness. You are full of darkness. Some people just don't g- gather that. They don't understand why we're so big on uh, receiving Jesus. and accept, Because here's the point. Without Jesus, you're not just kind of you know, making some different decisions and kind of going the wrong path. You are in darkness. You are, as he says, you are darkness. You're full of, of the darkness of, of sin and guilt and shame. And, and sometimes you don't even realize and you're trying all these things to fix it. And the point is you're still in in darkness. That's once, without Jesus Christ, you were you were darkness. But he says, but now you are light in, in, in the Lord. There's a difference here. <clears throat> Here's what Paul's trying to tell us. Earlier in this same book, chapter number 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul said this, In him, that's in Jesus, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. As we sang earlier, the grace of God flows over us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes real in our life. And if you've accepted Christ, you've received his gift, you have been forgiven. You once were darkness, you were in your sin, you were living in the shame and the guilt of sin without Jesus, but if you've received the gift of eternal life, Jesus died for your sins, you accept that gift, you believe in what he did to die, and, and there's been a time in your life when you turned your life to him, you're no longer darkness, he says now you are light in the world. In fact, what he said to his disciples, Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. You are now light. There has been a complete change in who you are. If you were, This morning, let me ask you a question. Have you been redeemed? Have your sins been forgiven? Has there been a point in your life when you realize your need of a Savior and you turn to Jesus? Have you received that forgiveness? If so, you are light. If not, God is saying, he's trying to get your attention. Right now, whatever you're going through is the darkness of sin, and you need the light of my Son, Jesus Christ. And even before this sermon, you could stop right now and just from your heart say, God, I get it. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want to be in the light. I no longer want to be in, be darkness. That's what he said. Without him, we are, as we keep reading again, verse number eight, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You have a new position. Now look at this next phrase. For all of you who are followers of Christ, if you've already accepted that, you're now light. Look at this. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Followers of Christ, there's been a point in your life when you received Jesus, you went from darkness to light. Now you're, you're, you have eternal life, your forgiveness is secure, you have this new life in Jesus. That's fantastic. But he's saying, he's, what he's implying here is this, that it is possible that even though you are light, you are, you are in the light as now, you would choose in your, your physical actions to do something that is in darkness again. You would choose your your follower of Christ, and he's going to do all he can. And he's working in your life, but you would make decisions that would put you back in the darkness again. That you would live a lifestyle of sin, of darkness. We're forgiven. But practically, we're slipping back into to our old ways. Our spiritual journey then stops. Intimacy with God comes to a standstill because now we, we're allowing the darkness to become the thing, the prevailing issue in our, in our life. Let me give you an analogy to see if it pertains to your, to your marriage. You go into it with every hope and every intention of being open and honest, and you're in love, and, you're, and the intimacy is real. And then over time, that you see it there's things that hidden maybe it's sin from your past that you never dealt with and it comes that back into guilt maybe it's things that you have you're doing now and rather than talk about it you hide it you have no one to go to you're you're keeping that hidden maybe it's it's hurts it's experiences things of regret and you're stuffing them into your old dark closet and the bigger that closet gets the less the the, the way the intimacy suffers the bigger that closet of secrets get, the, the less the intimacy is. And, and the, the intimacy is being stolen from the secrets. And God is saying, listen, we no longer as people should live as God's people. We need to live as children of light. In your marriage, you can do the same thing. You need to live as a child of light, as a child who is transparent, as a child who has, is opening. So how do we do that? Well, Paul's going to suggest two things. Let me give them to you this way. First of all, do not get used to the dark. Do not get comfortable living in sin. Do not allow sin to be something that is not a big deal to you. You're a follower of Christ. That, that, that's one issue. Or even as in your marriage, don't take sin lightly. Don't get comfortable. Don't get used to dark. This room, for instance, at night... Is a very dark room we have the windows covered and all this it's a very dark room and and the light switch is back there by the sound by the where we turn on the media right that's where the light switch for this room is usually when I come into this room I come from that door so from that door to that door can be a very precarious journey right but here's what I do I come in I shut the door and wait just a few seconds and what's going to happen your eyes are going to begin to adjust now, I may not be able to see everything clearly, but I can see most. It does help that I know where most of the chairs are, I'll, although some of these goobers will put something right there. I know, just for my sake. I get that. But, but I, I kind of know. But now you can start to see, and, and, and suddenly you don't feel quite as intimidated by the dark any longer. Does that sound familiar in your life at all? That you start doing something, and the first tinge, it goes, ooh, I shouldn't be doing that. But if you stay in it long enough, after a while you begin to adjust, begin to say, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't quite as bad. It doesn't feel quite as bad anymore. And you stay in it, and the darkness is just as dark. Your eyes have just adjusted to it. Your spiritual eyes have just adjusted to it. What does he say? Verse number 11. Look what Paul says. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with it. Don't get used to it. Don't get comfortable. We've got to make a conscious decision to avoid, to run away from, to have nothing to do with, to just, to feed, don't fail me now. When there's an area of darkness and we recognize it and we see it, we've got. To, God sets the standard high for purity in our lives and in our marriages, folks. This purity line is high. If you go back just a few verses in chapter 5, verse 3 of this same chapter, listen to what he said. But among you, people of light... Listen to what he said. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. No sign of it. Nothing that we kind of flirt with or we, we dabble in. No sexual immorality, impurity, greed. We've got to think of these things as like poison. Poison, when you see that, you know it doesn't take much poison to affect you in a very powerful way. If you all ever played football, we had a saying we played football. Whenever a punt was coming and you couldn't catch it, the saying, they started to say poison. Because if that ball hits and touches you, it hurts your team. So poison means you get out of the way. What Paul is saying is there are things that we, we allow in life that we ought to say they're poison. Get away from them. Do not even have a hint of them in your life. Do not even have a hint of them in your marriage. You want to see light? You want to see uh, the intimacy come back? You've got to say, that, that we can't play with this stuff. We can't get used to this. We can't let it happen. Here's what i learned, and, and I want to share, see if you see the picture. What we have done sometimes in life and in marriage specifically is we've drawn the line for purity in the wrong place. We all know, and I think every married couple in here would say very plainly, we know you're not adultery is a sin. I will not commit adultery. So we draw a line right here. There's adultery, and I'm not stepping across that. I'd never do that. I'd never, and, and so we draw a line there. But God wants to show us something. The line for adultery probably starts way back over here somewhere. And there's a line of little choices that we make, little things that we let a hint of sexual immorality in, and we cross those lines. and We're still a long way from adultery. But then the line we draw here, and I'm not going to do that. And then we allow ourselves to dabble in something else. And do you notice what happens? We've moved the lines, and little by little, we're crossing each line, and we're letting our eyes adjust to the darkness. And before long, we do some things that we never thought we would do, but it didn't start there. It started way back there because we allowed that hint to stay in our life. We allowed something that we didn't deal with, and the darkness became adjusted, and we got used to it to the point where we do things we never thought we would ever do. Here's how Jesus described it. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus drew the line on adultery this way. Look what he said. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, we've heard that, but listen to what he said. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What did Jesus just do? He drew the line for adultery clear back over here. Adultery is a sin, but looking at a woman lustfully is a sin. But if you get used to that sin and you get used to another sin before long, this sin doesn't seem as bad as it used to sin, as it used to be, because we've we've moved the lines, we've allowed them to be something. And so the line for adultery starts when you see that good-looking person at the office or at the gym, or you see something on TV, or you see something on the Internet, and it's going to happen, and some feelings begin to arise. And you don't deal with it there, and you just kind of let it go, and you just kind of say, oh, just just that's what happens. You don't deal with it there. Then you move the line, and maybe you look a little more. You flirt a little deeper, and you don't mess with the line there. And you see what's happened? You're moving the lines. The line started clear back over here, but the line ends up often in places we never thought it would go. Jesus gets so serious about this. If you look in context, the very next verse, verse number 29, look what Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Let's be honest, there ought to be a lot of one-armed cyclopses in the church. Should there not be? Because if we were really serious about of course, he's using a metaphor, okay? He's not telling us to go cut off our limbs, however, whatever it takes Whatever you have to do to keep, that line is very important, but it's this, this line that's going to move you to that line. And so you take care. You don't get used. You don't let your eyes, your spiritual eyes adjust to that to, to, as you're going along. In fact, here's how Paul said it. We just said no hint of sexual immorality. That's what he said in our Ephesians. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. He didn't just say abstain from it. That he says that in other places. In this one, he says run. Get out of there. Do what Joseph did in the Old Testament. Leave your coat if you have to, but leave, run. That is one of the sins, and there are several, but that's one of them that will destroy you. And that's what he says in that passage. It takes wait, So whether we're talking, if you're married, we're talking keep your life pure. Don't let things, don't get used to things. Don't let those hang. Take them out because they're leading you. somebody. But let me talk to you singles. You understand that you've got the same opportunity, that God says he wants you to be pure, and he, wants, he has a plan for your life. So when immorality is being thrown in your face, run from it don't stand and say oh i think i can handle this or i flirt a little bit here and i do this run from sexual immorality that's what paul's thing is this is a line that we just have to make sure that we keep as a part of our of our life think about this jesus spoke these words in first century a.d and it was real then paul spoke these words in the in the 60s of first century a.d that's and and think about what they were wearing and the attire that they had at that point I mean, it wasn't. It, the, the, most of you, it, what you saw in the streets. Woo, that's a. You see your ankles there, baby. You understand what I'm saying? You didn't. There wasn't what we see. You look at today's culture, and what do we have to fight, men and ladies? What do we have to? The things that we can are available. We don't even have to go out of the house. So the things are accessible on our media and our TV, and we can carry them in our phones. And yet, the truth is still the same. When you see it. Don't mess with it. Run from it. It's not funny. It's not men being men and boys being boys. It's not okay. Run from it. Whatever we have to do to keep that line of purity, God says that we do what we have to do. We run from it. Here's what I know as a private person. I found it very easy to make these kind of things be hidden. And I'm ashamed of the things that I allowed my life and my eyes to see that shouldn't have and the way I hurt hurt that, the intimacy of my marriage, because then it became a hiding thing. It became something that's a lot easier not to talk about. Can I tell you, folks, God still says there's a line, there's a purity, there is a vow that we have made, and let's do what we can to take it. So there's steps that I try, I've taken. Uh, I, all my passwords, my wife knows them. She has complete access to everything that I see. I have, I have a couple gentlemen in New York, that, or excuse me, in Texas, that have, I have, my, uh, have my websites, they're, they're monitoring what I see. I, 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 why? Because I, this is not something that's worth, it's a vow of purity, and whatever we have to do. There are certain shows on TV, and we'll read them, we'll read the description. If it says, we're going to kill him, it's army, hey, we're watching that, right? <laughs> but if it uses... <laughs> and Hallmark, we'll watch that one, but... But if it starts talking about nudity and so forth, you know what? It's just not worth going there. I love movies. I'm a movie buff, but it's not worth it. It's not worth it because I know what my mind does. I know where my eyes go. It's not worth it to the lady I gave a vow of purity to to let that happen. I'm just saying, folks. This there is a vow, and we've got the, the world in which we live is going to do everything we can to fight it. it. It's a matter of we have we have policies in our office. We don't counsel uh, uh, those of the opposite gender alone. We we don't we if we, if someone comes in the office of the opposite gender, we'll call somebody else here come and sit with us because we don't want we don't want that even that picture. I don't go somewhere with someone the opposite gender besides my my wife and my daughters. And someone saw me with my daughter one time out in a restaurant. Ooh, what are you doing? I said, hey help give birth to this kid, okay? I'm okay with that one. But other than that, other than that, it doesn't happen. You say, well, this lady needs my counsel. You know what? If she really wants counsel, refer to her your wife, gentlemen, or refer to her husband, ladies, if, if a man needs counsel. Don't put yourself in that position. What I'm saying is you do whatever you can. These may be drastic, extreme steps, you may think, but here's the point. There is a vow of purity that I made to that lady, and it's important that we do whatever it takes to keep it. Don't get used to the dark. Be sensitive to what you see in the dark. All right, so each week, I've allowed my wife to share, and I I wanna hear from her again. So watch the screen as Shelly shares with her thoughts on this particular topic.
1: When I think of purity, um, well, there's a lot of things I think of, but I think of purity in speech. Um, And not just saying bad words, duh, you shouldn't do that. I think of purity of speech as being like open and honest in your speaking and especially when it comes to your spouse. Um, There is nothing that I read, listen to, watch that Steve is not included in. Like, he may not watch it with me, but there's nothing I would hide from him. I have passwords on my computer, on my phone, but he has access anytime. There's nothing that I hide from him in that way. My life is an open book to Steve. Um, there's no secrets he's my best friend and I want him to know me better than anyone else I want to know him better than anyone else and I think that's how it should be Um, but the difficult part in this is communication Um, And I know people are like, oh, you guys communicate all the time. Yeah, he preaches, I teach, but communicating with one another, that is like a whole nother ball game. And I'm just gonna say it, communicating with your spouse is difficult. And I'm not sure when it happens, I think it's after you get married, because like when you're dating, you guys talk about everything, and then you get married and nobody has anything to say. Um, I'm not sure what that is, except I think it might be the enemy. Because God says you are to be one in all areas. And so the devil tricks us into not talking about our heart or not telling our spouse everything. And he tricks us into making excuses. We'll say, let me, I statement that. I'll say, well, he's had a hard day or he's busy. It's not really that big of a deal. Um, And it is a big deal because I want Steve to know me and he should know me. Um, sometimes, you know, like I'm a detail person, so I will tell him every detail of my day and he kind of gets that glazed look over his eyes like, Oh, when are you going to get to the point? And I know you're laughing because you've done the same thing, but here's the truth. When your wife is doing that, when I'm doing that, I'm just trying to open my heart. I'm trying to let him know every part of me, every detail. And the truth is that's what I want from him also. But again, that enemy brings the, well, that's just who I am. I'm quiet. I just don't talk about things or that's just who I am. I am talkative. And here's the truth. You are a new creature in Christ and you may be a quiet person, but you are going to have to be intentional about listening and talking and opening opening up so that you truly can become one. Um, One of the things that I have learned, um, and a friend of mine taught me that, she said, you need to be open with God, then you can be open with your spouse. And what that means and what she taught me was journal things out. I start with praise, a prayer to God, but then confession. You confess it and you write it out. Don't just say, God, forgive me of my sins. She's like, you write down, you ask him to bring to mind everything you did wrong. And it is truly eye-opening when you have to write, um, I had a really bad attitude today towards my spouse, or I lied to the phone salesman when I said, nope, Mrs. Switzer's not here today. And I use the excuse, well, that's his mom um we have to write it out write out every single thing every single thing that you remember that you did against god yesterday it is eye-opening it is freeing Um, you can go back and scratch it out later if you're scared somebody's really gonna read it but to confess that to god but then to truly be open and say god i need help with um i remember the first time i wrote down god i need help reading your bible and loving it because right now it's just boring me and i was like i think that's a bad thing to say but here's the truth that's how i felt and god already knew so to be open and to say that but when i can be open with god then it helps me to be open with steve Um, and that's what you want. We want that relationship. Satan works so hard to keep us from one another that I never want to give him the ammunition by keeping things secret and keeping things in the dark, because if things come to light, then he can't use that against me. So I want to bring everything out with my spouse and with God and just be an open book
0: with Steve. Where is my beautiful wife anyway? Would you come here a second, please? No, we didn't. First of all, I want to say I love you. Thank you. And thank you for helping me with this sermon. She's been good, hasn't she?
1: I love you, I love you, too.
0: That's a, that's a great lady right there. Uh, somebody raised her pretty well, too. Good job, Mom. Here's what we know. We often allow the dark to take over, and often it's just because we're afraid of what's going to happen if the light shines. Correct? What did Jesus say? John three nineteen. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil we we come in the room and our eyes adjust and that's good when we got some things hidden but man as soon as that light comes on we know that something's going to be shown something's going to become real suddenly although it's already real we're going to be startled we're going to be embarrassed and our eyes resist it so that leads us to this this second thought paul said don't get used to it get no hint whatever but look at the next part expose everything to the light You need to get in the habit of taking everything you do, stop hiding, ask for help, expose it to the light, whatever is needed. Let's go back to our verse. Have nothing to do with the fruitful needs of darkness, and now notice the next phrase, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Look at this next phrase. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. If you shine the light, the darkness disappears. Darkness is just an absence of light. You shine the light and you watch what happens as the darkness flees. But that's what we have to get First of all, don't get comfortable in the dark. It's poison. Get away from everything that might be hurting it. And second, take, like Motel 6 says, keep the light on, right? Just keep the light in your life on in all of these areas and everything that you can weigh, all your behavior. Even when it's painful or embarrassing, have someone that you talk to, your spouse being number one. Keep your life open. Keep the guards down. Keep it in such a way. You've got to keep the light. But let me give you two very, as we finish this very quickly. I want to give you two thoughts about ways to keep your life exposed to the light. The psalmist David asked a very important question. Psalm 119. Listen to his question. How can a young man or a young person stay on the path of purity? Well, that's a good question, Paul. Or Paul, David. David, whether you're single or married, how do you stay on the path of purity? Notice he says, by living according to your word. He said, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you guys realize that right here in your hands, you hold one of the most important tools to keeping your marriage where it needs to be? This is the way you expose your life and your marriage constantly to the light as you get, it, you get into the Word. That's what I want to do. Expose everything into the light of God's Word. That means you've got to hear it. You've got to know it. You've got to learn it. You've got to ask questions about it. You've got to let it be a part of your daily experience. I said earlier that, that temptation is, it, it was more open 2,000 years ago. And that's it, uh, less open, excuse me, 2,000 years ago. We didn't see some of the things. It was still real. Now we know it's a lot more. But do you also realize how much more accessible God's word is? Back then, they didn't have a written word. When Jesus and Paul were on this earth, they didn't have a written that people could carry around. Not only can you carry it around, you can have it on your phone 24-7. Am I correct? Here's what I want you to say. You have no excuse for not exposing yourself to the light of God's word. You can listen to it. You say, I'm not a good reader. They have it on audio. Here's what I'm saying. The word of God is there, and you need it if you're going to stay pure in your marriage and in your life. You've got to do that. That woman who's made such an impact in my life, Shelly, the other morning, I'm, I walk upstairs and I'm hearing this, her phone's doing this funny vibrating sound, and everyone's boop. and I'm going, what in the world are you doing? You know what she does on a daily basis? There's an app on her phone that helps her memorize Bible verses. And every time it vibrates, it means she got a word wrong. So she's not got it perfect yet, but I'm saying, holy cow, woman, That's amazing. How do you stay doing what God has called you to do? You've got to have the light of God's word. Let me give you one other, and then we'll close. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Hiding hurts, confession heals. Here, here's what you got to You've got to expose everything to the light of confession and repentance. You've done it wrong. You've crossed a line somewhere. You've stepped into the darkness. As soon as you recognize it, get out. But how do you do that? Well, the light of God's word has convicted you, has challenged you, has said it's wrong. Now, you need to say, first of all, God, I'm sorry. If we confess our sins, 1 John says, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You go to God for forgiveness, first and foremost. God, I blew it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then he says, James, we go to others for healing. Look what he says. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Go to God for forgiveness. We go to others for healing. You need to have someone in your life that you can talk to. Who you? Can, but you need first of all that spouse should be married couples. That should be the place where we come and we say, by God's grace, i will not do it again. I'm not just saying, hey, you know, I, I did it. I'm sorry. It, you're forgiven. You're confessing. You're repenting. You're turning. You're saying this has got to change in my life. But confession and repentance. So let's go back. Here's where we started. We got to get naked. We we got to be open. We've got to be open before God. We've got to be open with our spouse. Shame's involved. Embarrassment has come. Sin has hurt this. I get it. The nakedness of the garden is no longer possible because of all that's happened, but we can get closer to what God has for us in the light of his word and in the light of confession and repentance. So let's summarize this series with these foundational covenants. Number one, God will be my first priority And you, my spouse, will be my second. Promise number two, I promise that I will always pursue you, my two. Number three, I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. And today I promise to confide in you, not hide from you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? My first question comes back to asking you this. Have you seen something in this series, even revealed today, in your life that you need to apply? You need to, please don't let it just be something you've heard. Let it be something you put into action, into your life. Is there a way that one of the vows, married couples, that you know needs most improvement right now? Which one is God saying, that's the one I today you need to start. All of them are critically important, but there's one that needs the most improvement right now. What is God saying to you? Singles even, will you make a commitment that these will be a part of your preparation and and ultimately your marriage life? What is God saying? What are some things that you need to, to do as God's said it in your life? And perhaps most important today is this. Is there someone in this room who is still in the dark? You've not received the light of Jesus Christ. You've, your sins, you, you've never come to that point when you recognize you were a sinner in the dark and you said, God, forgive me, save me. I want to follow you with my life. There's not been that point of repentance and turning to God. Have you? If you've not done that, then today could be your day of salvation. Today could be the day you move from darkness to light. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for whatever it is that you're, Sings each heart today. I, I believe in a congregation this size. There's someone probably that walked in here in the dark, and I'm praying that they'll walk out in the light. That today you have, you're calling them, and that they will call out to you and receive you as their as your personal, as their personal Savior, and accept your gift of forgiveness. And Lord, I'm praying for married couples across this audience, whatever state their marriage is in that, Lord, you're challenging them, you're comforting them, you're encouraging them that there is hope and that it's worth fighting for, and, Lord, that they will just take these vows one at a time and they'll begin to apply them. And and maybe it's starting with purity. Maybe it's with the idea of putting you first or whatever, but they'll they'll not take each other for granted. Whatever you're speaking in their heart, Father, that they will begin to work on that particular issue, begin to see you bring healing to their marriage and hope. Father, I, I pray that today is a special day for everyone involved. As the music continues, I want to give you an opportunity just to respond if God has spoken to you. If you're here today and you've not yet received Christ as Savior, God is speaking to you and you're saying, I know that's what I need. God wants to call you from the darkness into his light. Would you from your heart say, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner and I, I know I'm, I can't come to you on my own, but I believe you died for me and rose again. Would you please save me, forgive me? I want to follow you from this day forward with my life. Would you call out to him? In fact, I want to give you an opportunity here. As music playing, if that's your heart and you'd like to know what it means to know Christ, I would encourage you, you can step out here and there'll be those here at the front who would love to pray with you. Or maybe you're a married couple and you just want to grab the hand of your spouse. Maybe you want to pray where you're at or you want to pray here at the front, but you would just say, God, help us to take these steps. And maybe you name them. This is what I want to... Want to start working on even today before I go home of how to be a better spouse to you. But let's just take this moment here and just this time of prayer and reflection and just respond if God has spoken to us today. prayer I know that you've drawn us in many ways today some of them are probably very uncomfortable to us and I pray Father that that won't stay there but you'll move us to the point of confession and, and move us to a, a better spot where we begin to, to see you changing in our life whatever that looks like Father please help us to live as children of light today thank you Father for your love and your mercy As a part of this service, we want to do something a little different. We've talked about in the last couple of weeks the idea of a covenant of marriage, and I know you, you've you probably been through different ceremonies, and you know you signed a license when you got married, if you were married, but today I want to give you an opportunity to just renew that covenant today, and so hopefully your, your spouse is with you today, and you'll be able to participate in this. What we're going to do in just a moment, I'm going to ask the couples, we're going to stand together, and we're going to... I'm going to talk of a vow and encourage you to, to respond to your spouse that you want, you want to renew that vow of covenant today. Last Sunday, if you were here, you were able to, if you wanted us to fill it out in a nice form, we actually have those certificates available. So in a moment, you'll be able to come and get those. But even if you didn't sign that last week and you want one, we have some blank ones available. We also, if you don't want to have a covenant, you don't have to take one. It's all, we just want you to be able today as you leave married couples to renew this covenant. And those of you who are, that are, are not yet married, I hope that you'll be encouraged by this, and you'll even applaud these folks as they, they do what they're going to do in renewing this covenant today. But there's one thing on the covenant that I want to I point out, and that is the bottom which you had on your license as well. There's a bottom part for witnesses. There's a place where you sign husband, wife, and then there's witnesses. To me, that's a critical part of this new covenant. Is you find somebody, maybe it's a friend, maybe you're gonna ask, maybe you ask another couple out for coffee this week and said, hey, would you, would you be in covenant with us, that you'll witness the fact that we're gonna keep these covenants? Or maybe, here's one that would be great. Take it to your life group this week. And all of you it's couples sit around your life group and, and commit to one another that you're gonna hold each other accountable to this covenant. And then when it comes up and you say, listen, we're going to get through this together. Remember, we signed. We're going we're gonna to pray for you. We're going to love on you. But find someone who will sign. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you take your kids and you say, would you sign this as a point of mom and dad are committing, again, that we're going to covenant our lives together? I hope you take a part of that. But let's start with this. If, you are, if you're married today and your spouse is here and you'd like to participate, would you stand with me today, all of the married couples? I'm going to invite my wife, if she's still in here, to stand with me. Now, couples, we're all, this is just like when you got married. You're in front of the preacher. It's a beautiful building. But at this point, you don't look at the preacher, you look at your spouse. So, turn, take them by the hand. <laughs> all right, now, before, Troy, could you turn that down just for a second before we get to that part? Here's what we're going to do, couples. I'm going to say, I'm going to. Repeat a phrase, and I want you to listen to it. I'm going to repeat a paragraph. And at the end, I'm going to ask you, if you agree with what I just said, to look at your spouse in the, in the eye and with genuineness say, I will. Because that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you do these things in this new covenant? So I'm going to ask you to listen, and as you do, and then at the end, you get a chance to respond. So here we go, couples. Listen, look at her dreamily. Look at him with all the respect that you have. <laughs> couples, will you renew the covenant of marriage? between your spouse and your God by promising that I will do whatever it takes to make God my first priority and you my second priority. I will do all that I can to not take you for granted and intentionally pursue you for the rest of our lives. I will do whatever it takes to make our marriage about what's best for us and not for me. I will do my best to be open and honest, to confide in and never hide from you until death do us part. If you agree with that, look at them and say, I will. Now you may kiss the bride. There you go. (laughs) Got to get the important stuff in. Now, couples, here's what we're going to do. If you would like a covenant, then Carlos and uh, Stefan, Josh and Callie will be here at the front. If you signed last week and you want one with your name on it, A through L is on the Campo side and M through Z is on the Pope's side. (laughs) Could not come out. We have a pope on staff at a, ca- a Baptist church, and I couldn't even think of their names. But anyway, but as the music plays, if you would like to, if you would like a covenant, if you put your name on, it, you come to one of them; they'll give it to you. If you didn't sign up but you'd like one, there are some blanks that you can take. And then uh, I would also encourage you somewhere along the line, if you haven't yet, maybe before you come, after you pick up your covenant, just say a word of prayer together and commit what you just committed to God back to one another. So as the music continues, couples come forward, and in just a moment we'll wrap this up with prayer. So couples come and get your covenants if you'd like to be part of that.